Ammo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhudassa. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo saranto suchedo ye holahudi sanyao sanputoshi. The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it, Within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Shifu Shangren, Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. This is June 2nd. We are right in the middle of Gemini, so any Gemini's happy birthday. Welcome to the lecture. Uh, Jason, I am going to do some housekeeping here. We're going to move you over. Chinwei Shi, please sit in the front seat. There's, uh, Master Dashing is watching the door. Jason puts you right next to him. We have three open seats in the front row. Nam is going to sit in one of them. And maybe James will move right up. He knew I was going to do that, didn't you? Nam, wrong row. Got to sit right up front. I know, I know, I know. Still you have to. Okay. And a word to the friends who came in as a couple for the first time. And somebody tapped you on the shoulder and said, You sit over there because you're a woman. <laughs> this is Berkeley. You can't do that. Right? Well, I, I'm sorry. We apologize for splitting up couples unexpectedly like that. But understand that we are not trying to ruin your marriage. Your husband will go out with all his hair on his head. <laughs> we're not going to keep him. Don't worry about that. It's just that we're a little old-fashioned here. We're kind of traditional. And guarantee that if, if the lecture catches your mind, you won't notice that you're not sitting next to your spouse, boyfriend, significant other. You're going to be sitting with the Buddha. That's the point. We want the Buddha sitting right next to you. Um, and people report that actually, now I, I've never been married, so I don't know. But people report that actually uh, ha not having that tie be the dominant theme of, of the lecture, the, the partner, actually enhances the concentration. That's kind of the secret behind gender-segregated education as well. Now, what we need to do, however, some folks are not ready to be, to be told to split like that. And so we want to make an option for folks who really would, for various good reasons, prefer to share the lecture with their spouse. That's why we have chairs in the back. So if you would really like to, to sit together and make this a, a couple experience, we want to, to give you the, the chairs in the back and make you feel completely welcome here. All right? So... Try to be reasonable about this. June 2nd, we are here at the Berkeley Monastery in Berkeley, California. We're going to start the way we do by reciting the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So if you'd like to, we'd invite you to put your palms together and join us to do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Please turn to page 54 and 55 in your super text. Welcome to the folks who are joining us online from wherever you might be around the planet. We're down at the the last big paragraph in the Chinese, right here, halfway down the page. Okay, we'll start with the the Chinese, and if you can read the, the characters, do that. If you can read the romanization below, the ABCs, do that. 佛子此菩萨得无量神通力以一身为多身多身多身为一身活引活显 yeah, that should be Fourth term. English across the page, disciples of the Buddha. This Bodhisattva obtains limitless powers of spiritual penetrations. He can move the great earth. He can make one body into many bodies. And many bodies into one body. He can either disappear or appear. All right. I just did a little piece of that because there's, uh, this is quite a long section, and we want to um, take it a bit at a time. We've now come to a section of what's called the third ground of the Ten Grounds chapter, 
we're in a big sutra called the Avatamsaka, the Flower Garland Sutra. The Ten Grounds chapter is more than halfway through. So if this were the book and we were going this way, we're, we're here in the big book. And this is the third one of ten. And what we're talking about is how a bodhisattva, how an awakened being practices Buddhist practice, how this, this being does uh, what the Buddha did, which is go from being a human asleep to being a human awake, being an awakened human, but then took it one step further, which was decided to go from that state to the ability to wake others up too. It's really specific how it gives us step by step the, the techniques and the methods for helping other people wake up. Our bodhisattva in this third ground has gone through quite, uh, in, in contemporary language we say, he's been through quite a journey. Uh, the bodhisattva has gone through, um, uh, I was Pre, I was reviewing the text that we've covered in the third ground so far, and I realized what what changes he or she has been through. Lots of awarenesses. Um, part of the experience this bodhisattva went through was recognizing how people are in pain, by and large. And he's really clinical about it. This bodhisattva is like a uh, like a shrink, like a psychoanalyst. The bodhisattva looks at living beings and analyzes, says, these living beings are really up, up, upside down. They're just confused. They always do things that hurt themselves. They, they're unaware. And they clearly things that are not going to help is what they grab onto. And the stuff that is, that is helpful, they run away from. Living beings are so strange, he says. Sentient beings. Who's he talking about? Us. He's talking about us. And he looks right, when I read this, I was, felt like I was looking in a mirror. He's talking about me. And what, what else has happened? At the same time, the bodhisattva is looking at living beings, looking at sentient creatures. His meditation is also getting really deep and really quiet. So the deeper the bodhisattva's meditation goes, the more clearly his wisdom sees his former state and our current state. I'll speak for myself, my current state. The more he sees my current state, the more he realizes how confused uh, I am, let's say. And then there's a change. The Bodhisattva says, not, so therefore I'm out of here. Therefore, I'm leaving as quickly as I can. Let them suffer because this is a drag. They're stupid. What a bummer. The Bodhisattva doesn't say that at all. He says the opposite which is, I want to find a way to help them hurt less. I want to help them. I want to find a way to make sense to them so they too can wake up. So that's called compassion. The seeds of compassion awaken in this bodhisattva's heart. And the sutra takes us through that. And he or she is like a doctor becomes like a doctor and says, I really want to help him. I can't stand to have him hurt like this. And then it, it goes, the, the sutra goes into the bodhisattva's mind. It shows us how he thinks. And it says, oh, 
These living beings, you know why they're, they're hurting so much? It's because they're attached to stuff that when the, the, the technical language it uses is when the dharmas of the world prove to be unreliable, they cling to them and they hurt because stuff breaks up and they grab for it and they're holding on to broken stuff. How sad. I need to wake them up to the nature of stuff that it's not reliable, that everything that's made up of component parts goes bad. That's what I have to show them. Perfect example, you know, these beautiful orchids. These, this bunch of orchids is relatively unscarred. We have a bunch out and back of tough orchids. These are orchids that look like they've been through a fight. They got, they're brown around the edges. They've got bites out of the corners. They're, they have bug trails across them, and yet they're sturdy orchids. They're there. You know, they're Berkeley orchids. They're wild orchids in Berkeley, and they're just, you know, they're all beaten up and rough. And you look at them, and you think, that's beauty, but it's real beauty, because they truly look like they've, they've been dragged through the gutter. You know, and if you come back in, you know, once the bugs get to them at a certain point, you come back in three weeks, and they're really brown, they're really tired, they're really sad. And you say, oh, that's a long-lived flower, but it's a flower. And the beauty went away. You know, where did the beauty go? It's made, this is a relatively short-lived dharma, right? The beauty of a flower, a blossom. And yet our bodies get that way too. You know, if, if, my, if I grew my hair, you'd notice lots of silver going straight back here. And I'm starting to notice male pattern baldness back here. There's a spot where it's not growing back. And I'm only 62, and it's like, whoa, you know, how about that? So it's like everything that's made up of component parts gets old and breaks, and it goes away. And as much as we cling to it, as much as we really want that Botox look, you know, slightly tight, you know, when we get old, we go, mm, that's, what are, look at my choices, is get the injection or, or live with the wrinkles. Kind of a choice is that, you know. So it's that's the reality of conditioned dharmas is they change, and so the bodhisattva says, as that's why it hurts because we cling to it and it's changing on us. The nature of conditioned things is they change. Everything comes and goes. So the bodhisattva says, I want to wake them up. I want to show them that so they can what make peace with the reality, recognize the reality deeply, make peace with it, and balance in the midst of that. And let their attitudes mature as well as their bodies and the things around it. So, what does it say? The journey continues. The Bodhisattva looks squarely at the nature of things and says, okay, the next thing I got to do, I have to learn clearly how to teach them. And he says, what is it that's, that's going to work to wake them up? The Buddha's teaching, the Buddha Dharma, is what's going to work to wake them up. So he says, I need to find somebody who can teach me the Buddha Dharma. That's the Bodhisattva's quest. And he decides he really wants to find a Dharma teacher. So he sets out to do that. And it says, if the Bodhisattva can find anybody who will teach them a single sentence of Dharma that will help him learn the, the ropes, learn the techniques of teaching better, 
he will give up anything in exchange for that single sentence of Dharma. And it goes on to explain how he will throw himself into a pit of fire from the tallest heaven in order to get that sentence of Dharma. Exaggeration, mind you, uh, but it makes the point. This Bodhisattva's values change. He doesn't want things. He wants wisdom. That's what he wants. So he's after the Dharma. And uh, that's, that's kind of where it takes us at this point. The Bodhisattva... I left out a part, sorry. The next, the next step just before we began here was the Bodhisattva decided he wanted to learn to meditate. So meditation was the method that he really decided on. And it took us through the four dhyanas, the four stages of meditative stillness. And then it took us into the, another level of, of uh, samadhi called the four stations of emptiness. That's what we had last week. Now, once the Bodhisattva gets to that level, big changes happen. And that brings us up to speed tonight. Big changes. Here's the journey the Bodhisattva is on. He gets to the stage called Shandong Miao Yong in Chinese. The miraculous functioning of psychic abilities, psychic powers. That's what's next. Okay, we're ready. Here we are, page 54. Disciples of the Buddha, this Bodhisattva obtains Wu Liang Shantong Li, the strength of infinitely many psychic abilities, spiritual powers, spiritual powers. Now, what happens next, you guys are, have your palms together very respectfully, and I, I fooled you, I didn't read Sutra, sorry. I'll, I'll give you the signal clearly, all right? So you'll know when to put your palm. All right. It lists 10 amazing things, 10 things that, through scientific measuring, through any measure of physics, any kind of double-blind test would go, not possible, unless this is an animated picture. If this was Pixar's latest, then you go, okay, that's possible, right? Otherwise, not possible. Uh, psychic powers, what are we used to? We're used to... Looney Tunes, right? What happens? Right, Sylvester, the cat, is chasing Tweety Bird, and he goes running, 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 right off the cliff, and he's running in empty space, and his legs are churning until he notices he's run off the cliff, right? And until he notices, he's out there running, right? Wiley Coyote, right, chasing uh, Speedy Gonzalez, Roadrunner, 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 and out there, running in empty space, and then that's psychic powers before he notices. Right? You can do it with animation. In real life, you cannot do the things that the sutra says the bodhisattva does. Is that a break? Is that a disjunct? Is that a, a, a contradiction? Let's see. Let's take a look. We're going to test your credulity tonight. We're going to test your ability to believe. This bodhisattva obtains infinitely many psychic abilities. He can move the planet. Great Earth is a clunky translation for the planet. It's not Great Earth, it's the planet. He can move the planet. Well, uh, come on, right? Believe it? What does that mean? Right? How do you move a planet? The Bodhisattva can do. First, that's one. 
Furthermore, the Bodhisattva can with he can make one body into many bodies. He can multiply his body. She can multiply her body. Okay, that's two. What else? Multiple bodies can become back to a single body. All right. So we're we're checking them off here. What else? Make it appear and make it disappear. Huoyin, huoxin. So the, the ability to vanish, the ability to come back. And this is not Harry Potter. What else? Bi shi, well, I'm sorry. Shi bi shan zhang zhu wu ai, ru shu kong. Rock, cliff, mountain, block. Goes there, so wang. I said so zhu, so wang wu ai can go into that rock cliff without any problem at all, just like the air. The bodhisattva can go through a mountain as if it were a window or a doorway with nothing there. Okay, that's four. Look at this. This is all physically impossible, right? What else? Yu shi kong zhong jia fu er qu in the air with his legs crossed in full lotus flies by like a bird. Imagine seeing the Bodhisattva going by in full lotus. It's like a bird. That's, you know, like this is 2012 Berkeley, California 7... Eight o'clock, we're looking at things that science tells us are absolutely impossible. It tests now, seriously. Now, I'm, I'm saying this kind of with a little ironic twist. The sutra has to make sense, or we don't have to take it seriously. Now, I'm presenting for your consideration that we have to take this seriously. What do we do? Continue. Ru, ru, di. Ru shui, lu shui, ru di. Travels into the ground as if it were water. Walks on the water like solid ground. There's another one. Impossible, right? What else? Shen chu yan yan, ru dao huo ju. Fu yu, fu yu, yu shui, you ru da yun. Body puts out flames just like a bonfire and then rains water down just like a thunderhead. Furthermore, Sun, moon, in space, has great awesome strength, can take one hand to rub those orbs, and his body is free up into the to the up entirely entirely up to the Brahma heaven, which is the second level of heavens. All right, there we go. Now let me put a context around this and start to focus in. 
And I really hope that I'm going to ask people to to uh, chip in, to add your add your questions to this, because a traditional lecture would present this straight up, just without asking, without raising an eyebrow. This is a Buddha Sutras. The words of the Buddha can't be false. Um, there's plenty of those approaches. I'm much more interested in getting us to ask with our contemporary sensibilities intact. I don't want this to pass as, uh-huh, well, the monk said so, it must be true. The Buddha said so, it must be true. I want us to understand this deeply with our conscious minds, raising scientific doubts. Why? Because it stands. And if we can approach it with every one of our critical faculties intact, then when we come to it, it's stronger because we understand it. We've expanded our understanding of what's possible compared to simply going, "Uh uh-huh, Buddha said it, it must be true. Take it from me. Mm -mm. Not good enough. You have to take it from you. Okay, so that's that's the kind of the foundation, the way I'm approaching this. That's why I'm uh, raising the questions as we go, pointing out what to my Midwestern scientifically trained perspective would seem impossible and nonsense. Right? Okay, so let's let's look at it through the lens of critical analysis first then come back with the lens of I'm going to open my understanding of what's possible to allow this to be on my on my list uh, let's see I'll, 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 I won't answer that yet we'll, we'll answer that one as we go okay what's going on these are called psychic powers Shantong and I will say that in Contemporary Asian culture, and that would include China, Korea, Vietnam, Japan, Thailand as well. And that would include Burma, Cambodia, Laos, etc. There is another entire understanding of Shantong. It's a cultural understanding which has almost nothing to do with this, with the Buddha's understanding of Shantong. So... I'm going to put that to one side. I want to deal with this first. Then we'll go into the Chinese cultural understanding of Shantong and just present that. Because I don't think, if you were raised in Taiwan, if you were raised in China, um, Shantong is in something entirely different unless you had the Buddhist understanding. Um, so I don't want to try to be responsible for that. I just want to approach this straight on science. What we're looking at is called the uh, six psychic powers, but there's only five presented in the sutra. Um, I went to the commentaries tonight to to look this up, and our major Tang Dynasty commentator, he says, yes, there's only five in this section. We'll get number six 
in a later chapter. These are the Bodhisattva Shantung. When you get to the Buddha, there are six. They add one more when you get to the Buddha. So that's number one. Number two is people often understand this list as what are called Lohan Shibabian, the 18 transformations of an Arhat. Okay, there's a similar list in the Theravada tradition that talks about what their sage, the Arhat, can do. So it says that an Arhat has 18 amazing things that can happen once you end birth and death at that level of accomplishment. Arhats have 18. Our Bodhisattva's got 10 today. Master Chungguan says, right. That's 18. These are 10. Different lists, he says. So, no satisfaction from the commentator. This sutra just says, yeah, there's 8 here. There's 10 here. The other 8 are collapsed into them. So, commentators like to make everything neat and tidy, right? He's from the Tang Dynasty, but he's got that kind of mind that he wants to account for. He says... They're gathered in by these ten. So if anybody's keeping track, if you are a scholar of Buddha studies, the ten and the eighteen match, only they're some some are more porous, they gather in the more subtle ones. So this is number five traditionally. Usually this is the, the next to last one before the one the Buddha has. Here it comes first. What we're talking about is think of this. Some people, some of you meditators, will have noticed that when you meditate, sometimes your body gets really hot. Uh, some of you say, no, no, not my body, just my knees. <laughs> You're right, Dharma Master. Sometimes when I meditate, my knees feel like they are on fire. Are you kidding me? You tell me, you know, we're sitting there waiting for the bell to ring, and it's 45 minutes, and I know there's 15 minutes to go, and I swear, my knees are on strike. My knees just want to quit, you know, and sometimes I think I'll never walk again. Yes, I know about transformations when you meditate, and it's all in my knees. Right? Um, I know that one. I don't have that particular problem. I never did. I go to sleep instead. My biggest problem is not that my knees get on fire, it's that my head goes to sleep. And I'm sitting there, and I was famous for among the monks for being the, the one who, who nodded first. You, know, you sit still, oh, four minutes, there goes Hong Shuri. Like, he's a very agreeable guy, he agrees with everything. <laughs> what do you think? Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Sherful used to, bang, you know, and I would nod really quickly. And the other, the, uh, the person who I know really well about meditation foibles is, is my colleague Marty, the former Hung Chao. And we had this uh, interesting duo uh, where we were living. We lived for two and a half years in the back of a 1957 Plymouth station wagon up and down the coast of California. And there's not a lot of room in a 1957 Plymouth station wagon for two American guys you know, trying to sleep at night sitting up in this car up and down the coast. And there's, we had the, the, we pulled out one seat and put the, we put it down. You know, seats, some station wagons have the ability, the seat can go down. So seat went down. That was Marty's space. That was where the back, the, the, the back seat would be, the middle. I was sitting up on the deck, the cargo deck, for two and a half years. 
That's why my, my back is crooked because it wasn't tall enough and so I had to meditate like this <laughs> because it was, the roof was right there. So I sat back there. Marty sat down on the seat well because he was the Dharma protector and he had to be the first one out of the car in case, you know, the aliens came to eat the monks. <laughs> he had to be the one to get out and talk with them, you know, convince them to take refuge and bow. So you ever try to take refuge? Never mind, that's all right. So Marty's sitting there and Marty's issue is the knee issue. He, he's a martial artist. He was a Taekwondo black belt. And for him to cross his legs was hard because he had muscles, right? He'd, he'd be pulling at it. Uh, once you get it in full load, it's like, don't move, don't move, don't even breathe. You know, it's like, then I would feel he, he would radiate in the car. Heat, right? So I'm behind him. And what am I doing? And once he got in the full lotus, I would go, bonk. And he would go, ah, don't move. So we kept each other awake at night. It was really good practice to, uh, you know, it's the, the sleeping, sitting practice. So anyway, I understand the pain of how your body transforms. I'll save the best story for one more part of this, that the... We had an awareness of how the body can transform based on your meditative skill. Now, this bodhisattva, as we have learned, has been sitting still. First dhyana, second dhyana, third dhyana, fourth dhyana, first station of boundless emptiness, second station of boundless consciousness, the third boundless space, nothing whatsoever, neither uh, empty nor not empty. This bodhisattva is really quiet. What what he has gone through, or she, as he's been sitting there, is changes in the body. All right. Is Leo is not here tonight, I notice. Okay. Leo, bless her heart, she wouldn't mind if I told a story about her. Leo has been meditating with us for about 16 years. She was one of the earliest uh, disciples to come with her mom, and with my, her sister, everybody will remember. And Liu is a dedicated meditator. She sits hard. But Liu got impatient to have something happen in her meditation. And so she would be sitting there, and we would say, Liu, and we'd say, okay, anybody have any questions about meditation? And she would say, uh, Dharma Master, my whole body is really hot. My whole, it's really hot. And she had read somewhere that when you sit, things happen. You know, so you know, really hot. Okay, Leo. Uh, really hot, huh? Yeah. You know, I saw you at lunch put that hot sauce on your pho. She blush, you know. A little less hot sauce, Leo, and your body wouldn't be so hot. Well, okay, okay. And then next week, Leo would be sitting there, and she would be sitting, and she'd go. Say, Leo, got any questions? Yeah, Darman. I, I just keep jumping a lot. I don't know what's going on, you know. He's like, Liu, uh, maybe, maybe a little less coffee this time. <laughs> and you go, okay, okay. So the next week it would be really cold. And the next week somebody would come with an axe to kill her every time she meditated. She'd see this axe coming, you know. And it went on like that for three or four years. Liu had lots of special states. And we would go, you know, I appreciate, because why? She really was sitting. She was sitting hard, but... Liu was really anxious to have something special happen, you know. And after a while, I think she just ran out of special states. 
And her meditation got really quiet. And she got the flavor of how nice it is to have no special state. Just the stillness of meditation. When she sits now, she sits well. No special states. So she traded that need to have something happen for the actual experience of how nice it is to be quiet. Bung, something changed. So she went through all these actual changes, and I'm not saying she wasn't having I'm saying that her mind was helping her have special states, right? So the point is, the body is not solid the way we think it is. Master Hua would say to us in our Chan retreats, he would say, sometimes you will be sitting there and you will experience your body becoming very, very large, as big as space. It'll just encompass the universe. He'd say, don't get proud. It's nothing special. It's just a state. And he would use the word jingjie. It's just a jingjie, this kind of state, changing state that can happen. You will be sitting there, he'll say, and your body will get so small, it'll feel like a grain of sand. It'll feel no bigger than an atom. Don't get excited. It's nothing special. It's just a jingjie. Everybody goes through these states. And he would say, sometimes you'll be sitting there and your body will feel as soft as cotton. It's just so soft. It's just so wonderful. That the word, and then another time you'll be sitting and your body will feel cold as ice and hard as a mountain. Don't be frightened. It's just a jingjie, he would say. And he would repeat this over and over. He'd say, this is, this is what happens when your meditation starts to interact with the form skanda, with the siyun, which is the four elements that make up the body, earth, water, fire, and air. These are the four elements that they say falsely make up the body, that temporarily come together to make up the body, the solid parts, the liquid parts, the spaces, the warmth. When you meditate, when your gong fu, when your chan meditation starts to interact with those four elements, what happens? They change their orientation with each other. They get hot. They get cold. They feel huge. They shrink. They feel solid. They feel soft. This is earth, air, fire, and water. Solid parts, warm parts, air parts, liquid parts. The 80-some percent of the body that's water starts to transform. He says, perfectly normal. Don't think you're enlightened. Don't be afraid. Don't be attached to it. It's going to change. And then he would say, what's it like? It's like the weather. What's the weather today? Cloudy. Wait a minute. Sun comes out. Wait a while longer. Windy. A little longer. Rainy. Okay. He said, that's the weather. One state after another. Your body's the same. Okay. And we would go, uh-huh, sure, fool. My knees hurt, sure, fool help. And he would say, okay, you want to put your knees down? He said, we're going to nail you onto your chan bench, right? Then move your knees. (laughs) We're going to nail you in place. And if you die, we're going to throw your body under the bench, you know? And you go, oh my God, those Buddhists, they're at it again. If they're not burning themselves, they're throwing themselves under the bench. 
You know, it's really suffering all the time, isn't it? No, 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 it's not. Shifu was just being dramatic to tell you to be vigorous. Don't retreat at the first sign of change. And if you can sit still, things will change. Okay, that was the message. And he was doing anything to get us past that initial experience of the body's limits and transforming those limits. All right? The arhat, the bodhisattva, the 18 transformations of the bodhisattva, of the arhat and the psychic powers of the bodhisattva happen after the bodhisattva has sat through some of those changing orientations of the earth, air, fire, and water in the body. This is just an extension once you get into the dhyanas. So this is grad school of which pain in the knees is kindergarten. Okay, so you've got to be patient with your knees. Got to do it gradually. You don't crash through. But if you meditate and you take it seriously and you actually do it more than you text message, if you actually sit still and try to be quiet more than you watch TV or as much, start with as much and then more when it gets good, you will experience some of these preliminary changes. These are what happens when you meditate long enough. This is a clinical handbook of some of the things that happen once you get good at meditation. This is not science fiction. It is not Pixar's latest animation. This is what happens when a human being sits still long enough to experience some of the advanced transformations that the body is capable of. Master Hua would say, this is low-level stuff. This is the third ground. Get real. What does a bodhisattva do? The bodhisattva can manifest infinite transformations of the entire form to teach living beings, each according to their own abilities to learn. This is preliminary. You know, and we're going, uh... I can't believe it. You know, who says? The Buddha. Okay. So, so, wow, all right. In other words, my duality-bound, language-bound, logic-bound, conscious mind is just too petty, too, too stuck on it's got to be my way to allow space for this to be possible. It's like if it doesn't, if science can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Baloney. What about your dreams? Well, I know I, I do it. Well, where do those dreams come? Uh, I'm not sure. Where do they go? I don't know. Do you not dream? No, I dream. Sometimes our dreams are more real than our reality, right? And yet we know nothing about our dreams except they happen. How funny, right? And yet. Here we are. The Buddha is saying, absolutely. If you sit still and cultivate the Dharma, you will pass through this state. Don't get attached to it. It's just a state. This is just a state. So, my best answer to this, I'm not going to be an apologist and say, oh, you have to believe that this is true. I'm going to say, my approach to it is, I suspend judgment until I learn more. I don't have to say right or wrong. 
true or false, possible, impossible, I will say there's a lot to learn. It's not the case that I know the whole truth. But here's somebody whose authenticity is, by and large, true, right? The Buddha, no reason to think the Buddha is lying to us, who says, a bodhisattva on who wants to wake other living beings up because his heart, her heart, has been moved by seeing their suffering, will pass through this on his or her way to teaching, to becoming a good teacher. This is preliminary to what's ahead, which is seven more grounds of learning. So that way, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot. I, I can do that. I don't have to say it either fits with my narrow categories or I reject it. Okay? How many languages do you speak? A couple. How many are there? Hundreds? That's all you need to know. There's a lot we don't know yet. Right? That can be known. So let this be part of that. Suspend judgment and say, ah, there's a lot to learn. Okay. I don't have to I park it in there and go, that's amazing. What is my body capable of? What am I capable of? I don't know, but I'm interested because here's a human. This is a human document. The Buddha says, later, this is advanced programming. How many functions of Photoshop, Microsoft Word, how many, how many functions of Gmail can you use? Never mind Photoshop. Are you a Gmail maven? Are you a Gmail expert? No, I'm basically, you know, I found the, the send button and I, I can... Reply, I know that. Well, Gmail, a lot of stuff in Gmail. Threaded stuff. Can you go from POP to IMAP in your email? No. Well, we use it every day. We can't do it. You know, so how much the less do we know about our own inner apps, programs waiting to be booted up? This is a program waiting to be booted up. So, just to say, that's that, with that open-minded approach, at least we're in a place where we don't have to reject it as being absolute nonsense, right? Science changes its theories about every 18 months. Okay, so that's, that's, my, I, that's my case, okay? The story. So here's Marty sitting on the platform, holding his legs, going, oh, this hurts like crazy. And here I am in the back nodding and donk. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't talk. So I just, I would go, mm, you know, donk. I'd knock him forward, push his legs out of full lotus, cause him infinite pain. And he would just, and so it was Halloween. And we're, the, it was, you know, Halloween, it gets dark early. And we were near Santa Cruz. And often a field behind a billboard. We thought we were invisible to the road. And it was Halloween. So we were watching the cars go by in the freeway over there. And we were behind the billboard off the road. And we're sitting there meditating. And Marty is like, I can hear him. He's just going, like holding his breath. And it hurts a lot. And I'm trying to stay awake. And then suddenly there's a boom. And the car goes like that. And we're like. Sat, and we're silent and there's no further sounds outside the car it's really dark outside no further sounds and so I start to nod again and go back and I can hear Marty going and 
and then the boom, and the cars are like, some of you have heard this story. So we're like, now we're like totally, oh my God, it's going to eat us for sure. <laughs> Sitting there. And, and then I hear Marty go, starts to laugh. What in the world? Now, you know, it's probably the, they, they've attacked his mind. You know, it's the body snatchers. Now he's like, he's inside the car with me. Now what am I going to do? And there were no cell phones at the time, you know, and we didn't have cell So, okay, it's like, that's really weird. So Marty gets the flashlight. And I'm going, oh, no, don't go outside. I'm thinking this, right? So he opens the door. He goes outside. And he bursts into laughter. And he <laughs> shines. The, and so I crawl out. Look, two giant jack-o'-lanterns, pumpkins, smashed against the car. It wasn't aliens. It was some kids throwing jack-o'-lanterns at the monk's car. <laughs> so it's like, that's funny. What's funny about that? You know, and he's laughing, laughing, laughing. So he goes in and he writes in his diary. So then we go to sleep. And the next morning, I can't wait to see what he wrote. And he, he writes, you know, he, how amazing, he said. After the first pumpkin hit, all I could think about was, how am I going to protect the monk? What's coming to, to kill us? And then he said, when the second pumpkin hit, I realized all the pain in my legs had gone away. I was sitting still in full lotus for the first time. Why? The fear of the alien had chased away the pain of my legs. It's all made from the mind alone, he said. What, a, what an awareness that the pain in my legs was made from my mind. Right? And so I'm reading it and I think, wow, that's pretty profound. So we called that the pumpkin dharma, the, the pumpkin chan dharma from that time on which is to remind us that it's like, now, not that it, it, went, it didn't hurt anymore. It did hurt after that, but only to a point where another mental state can make the physical pain go away. So the question is raised, where does the pain come from in the end? Because it really hurts. Not that it doesn't hurt, but where does that pain come from when you're meditating? Now, um, for you meditators who are experiencing knee pain, as you, and I know there are folks who are, for whom that is true, let me suggest that um, if we, if, if any single day that we meditate and our mind is relatively balanced and free of what we call false thoughts, right? Random scattered thinking, the, the, the usual chatter. If our mind is free of worries, fears, expectations, and kind of quiet, kind of normal, the pain will hurt less in our legs when we meditate than the days when we are particularly emotionally upset, seeking something, expecting something, anticipating, or depressed. When our minds are kind of every day, we meditate best because there are fewer thoughts in the mind. Days when after a retreat or on vacation, when the, the pressures, the stress of work, of family, of relationships are like three days ago, 
and we've been out in the woods for three days or up in Oregon at Buddha Root Farm for three days or, you know, uh, in Cuernavaca for three days or San Diego. When we're really quiet, you'll discover the pain is different and it goes away quicker. Why? Because the pain comes from obstructions in the energy, in the chi and the shi, which is directed by the mind. You should see the sixth graders from Piedmont Elementary School come to the Berkeley Monastery as they do every spring. There will be, I have this Dharma, one of the, uh, the sixth grade teachers, Mrs. Kennedy at Piedmont Middle School discovered us about 12 years ago. She likes us a lot and I like them too. She go, they have sixth grade, they have a religious visitation day, religious field trips. They go to the, uh, Temple Sinai in Oakland, the synagogue, they go to the Greek Orthodox Church, and they go to the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. And we have three groups of 100 students who come in and sit right where you're sitting here. And it's, it's wonderful to watch these sixth graders. Because sixth grade, their, their bodies are moving towards adulthood, but their minds are still just, you know, kids. And, and they're looking sideways to see who's their friend, but they're mostly looking at me. They haven't really gone full tilt into boys and girls yet. So they're, kind, they're like... What are you? What are you doing here? Why are you? Why are you dressed? Why are you wearing a dress? You know, <laughs> why do you shave your head? They want to know that stuff, and and so I say, okay, I want you all to meditate. Now we're going to try meditation. Try this, and I put my legs in full lotus. Utter pandemonium. Wow, how is this really funny? Oh, look at how it just hurts and that hurts. <laughs> and half of the kids, their knees are up like this. Even you know, and they can't. And girls do better than guys at getting down. About, of the other half, one quarter of them can do half lotus. And then there's a quarter. There's about one out of every four kids who goes, bonk, bonk. They look like Chan monks. <laughs> Bang. And you can see there's this, you know. And then I ring the bell and they go, that was really nice. I like that. You know, and why? Fewer thoughts here. They go bing right into it. Because when they're sixth grade, they're still relatively fresh, right? So you get the drift of that. If we are deeply invested in the things of the world, and we've been there, I mean, speaking as one who, before I left home, was deeply invested in the things of the world, right? Meditation is more painful than if we are sixth graders and our minds are still not thinking about all kinds of stuff, making a living, paying the mortgage, boyfriends, girlfriends. So that's where the pain comes from. The mind is just like the eye, like the ear, which is what it can function really well or it can function less well. The chi of our body, the thing that the acupuncturist does, measures when he does this, that chi goes through the mind as well. When we have what are called technically, technical term, fewer false thoughts, wang xiang, wu right? When our, our false thoughts are fewer, that chi goes right through the mind, just like it does through the, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body. We meditate very 
smoothly, very easily. We, that This meditation posture, just like that. The knees hurt just with the energy of, of going around and then they don't hurt anymore. Because our mind is free of obstructions. Right? Whereas, if we have just had a struggle with our significant other and they are wrong and we know it and we didn't get a chance to tell them, right? We'll be sitting there, oh, 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 mm, I, can't, I can't do it. That, uh, tomorrow, you know? <laughs> Why? Because we, all the stuff in the mind, all those words we wanted to say are blocking the chi. It's just like that. Okay? And what does it take to sit? St- we have to sit still. Now, that being said, I'm not going to discourage, I'm going to encourage all of you meditators to sit through the obstructions in the chi until they go away. That's the only way. There's no secret to smooth meditation other than sitting still. Now, that being said, the meditation part, the experience of pain in the legs is step number two. What is step number one? Precepts, concentration, and wisdom. The meditation part, including the physical posture, is the second stage. It's the, medita- it's the concentration stage. The Buddha taught jia ding hui, shila samadhi prajna. Character, concentration, insight. Precepts, concentration, and wisdom. The precepts part is just generally talking about what we do with our bodies, mouths, and minds before we get to the meditation. If we have been good-hearted folks, harmless folks, when we sit still, the meditation is very smooth. Now, harmless, notice that word was carefully chosen. What does that mean? The less we have killed, steeled, lusted, lied, or drugged ourselves, the less knee pain we will have when we get to ding, the concentration part. And the quicker the insights will arise. Now, don't hear that as the Buddha saying, you're a bad person, you're a bad, so you're a failed meditator. Bad character, bad meditation. That's not the conclusion. Anybody can, and all it takes is to say, all right, I really want to meditate. I enjoy that sense of stillness. I want to sit still. I want to transform my knee pain. So I'm going to go look at what I'm doing with my body, mouth, and mind when I'm not sitting still. Go do reverse engineering. If the ding part is still frustrating, go to the jia part. Go to the character part and say, yeah, what am I doing with my mind and my body and my mouth when I'm not sitting still? I'm gossiping. I'm nagging people, I'm plotting, I'm jealous, I'm angry all the time, I'm greedy without... That person is going to have a hard time sitting still, guaranteed. But all it takes is to say, I like meditating, I'm going to, instead of having my body, mouth, and mind be a series of peaks and valleys like this, when I'm like elated and when I'm depressed, I'm going to make my life more like this. I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to save words when all I want to do is talk about somebody's shorts and longs. I'm just going to talk less. Maybe not gossip about other people. I'm going to use my mind 
to, to give as often as I can through transferring merit, using my mind like a broadcast tower. I'm going to, instead of getting angry, just hold my tongue. Transform that rising fire into light in my heart instead of letting it out as fire. Hard to say. I mean, easy to say, hard to do. But that's it. If I do that and say all those things, I'm going to make my life like this instead of like this. When you go to meditate, your knees will hurt and then they'll stop. And there will be a moment. And there, it's, if you determine this is what's going to happen to you, you will experience this moment where you go through what's called the pain gate. And it is worth it. My goodness, the pain gate is profound. Marty went through the pain gate under the pressure of the pumpkins. <laughs> that was the pain gate. And the fear of being eaten by whatever was outside the car like made him completely forget his pain. And he was just sitting still thinking... What could that be? His mind was thoughtless. And sure enough, Tong, his chi and his whatever, that energy cycle, suddenly went through. And he experienced this. That's what he wrote about. He says, it was strange, like I went through a gate. And it took that push of the pressure of the pumpkins, jack-o'-lanterns, to get him through that gate. All right? Now... As I say this, stick to the middle way. I don't want to get a phone call from Kaiser saying, uh, we have one of your meditators here, severe dislocation of the hips and knees. Uh, do you have insurance? Uh, you know, so the Dharma master said I got to sit here. And I, you know, now I have to file for, for, for disability because I, you know. No, don't do that. Middle way, go long. Think this is 2012. By 2013, I'm going to be sitting still for an hour with a smile on my face. Give yourself 12 months. Or say, I'm going up to Oregon to Buddha Root Farm. I'm going to sit. Guohua is not here. Guohua is up at City of 10,000 Buddhas right now. Four or five years ago, Guohua always goes to, to Buddha Root Farm every summer. And she is always in the kitchen. Well, the young people chased her out of the kitchen. Gohua, we got lunch covered. You go sit. That was the pumpkin that forced Gohua up into the Chan Hall where she sat still. Gohua came out of that week. At the end of the, the week, we always have like snapshots, we say, where you toss in an experience that you're going to take with you down the mountain. Gohua, in a quiet way, she doesn't like to talk, right? Gohua said, well... I meditated this time. You know what? I really like to meditate, she said. People spontaneously burst into applause. Because we saw her, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, sitting in the corner like this. And she would often be, like, crooked and struggling. But then at the end of the week, she was like, she said, I really like to meditate. And her kids were there. They went, no way. Mom? Oh, you know. <laughs> Goha learned to meditate at Buddha Root Farm because the, the pressure from her was the kids saying, get out of the kitchen, we're going to cook, you go meditate. I guess I have to meditate. She did, and she, got, she went through the pain gate. Amazing. Now, what is the pain gate? It's not superstitious, it's not magical, it's not, you know, 
Guan Yin rubbing the crown of your head with a thousand hands. It's that your mind gets quiet because you're not, you're, everything you do is coming back instead of going out. You hui guang, you return that light that shoots out the senses. And your, Shifu would say, qi xue tong la. Your energy, the qi that flows in the meridians and the blood, connected. If you think of a hose, anybody who waters your garden or waters the lawn, sometimes if you have a thin hose, it gets that kink in it, and you're sitting there with a nozzle and the water goes away, and you look and you go, oh, you have to go unkink it, and suddenly the water flows, right? Before we try to meditate, by and large, our inner circuitry, particularly when we bend it like this, is kinked. We're not used to using it that way, okay? Especially when you cross your legs. So what we do when we we're sitting is we increase the pressure on our meridians and our blood vessels. And the result is discomfort. It's pressure building up, all right? We feel it here, but the kinks are often here. All those false thoughts are knotted hoses here. The chi has not circulated. When we sit still, there's nowhere for it to go except through those original pathways. And when we can make our minds quiet, it's like, oh, boom. the chi circulates. I spent several years down in Boulder Creek writing my dissertation back in the early 90s. And the folks here were kind enough to let me go down during the week and come back on the weekend. Those of you who have been around will remember those times when I was gone during the week and working when I came back. And at night, at Boulder Creek, we have this cabin in the Redwoods, and there's nothing to do, and it's really quiet in those woods, and you don't go outside very much at night because... That's a funny forest. And so I would sit there, sit and sit and sit. And I remember one night when I experienced a connection of the chi and the blood. And I'd been sitting there, like, just kind of felt like I had a rocket taking off. And, and I finally just sat up straight and said, well, if I die down here, I mean, dying under the redwoods, it could be worse, you know. I mean, I could die in a skyscraper somewhere, you know, or in the subway. And Why not under the red, die? I don't care. You know, just like, who cares? And as soon as I had that thought, it was just like, boom. And it felt like, um, it felt like finding the station on the radio tuner dial. From <laughs> to this evening's news, tonight, the end paper, it was like, boom, like that. From, from fuzzy to clear. This, this was the experience. It was like this. To. Like that. From. To. experience and it was a big change and it was like oh and you don't there's no other shortcut 
than to do that. So, just to say, um, everybody goes through knee pain until you unkink the hoses in your system. Now, Master Empty Cloud, Xu Yun, famous meditator, right? He was famous for doing things like crossing his legs and then a month later uncrossing them again, sitting still for a month, you know, and defying people's logical sensibility. And somebody once said to him, Shurfu, uh, how, do you, how do you get your legs to stop hurting? And Master Xu Yun said, who said my legs stop hurting? <laughs> oh, no. Don't say that. Right? Yeah. Who said my legs stop hurting? Do you mean you too? You know. So why meditate? Well, once you can, all kinds of stuff happen. Strange stuff. Right? What happens? He can appear or disappear. He can go through stone walls like space. And in space, he can make his body impenetrable. He can fly with his legs crossed like a bird in space. He can go into the water like it's earth. He can, like, he can go into the water, walk on the water like it's earth. He can go through the earth like water. He can put out flame fires and, and water alternately from the body. He can reach up with his hand and touch the sun and the moon. Okay, so this is what the body is capable of. It's not that so-and-so bodhisattva is famous and it's special because he can. It's that you can when you do what a bodhisattva does. This is a handbook, a technical manual for what happens when you sit still long enough and do what a bodhisattva does. That's real shantong. Not... The, the phony shantung of Taiwan, where every realtor has shantung, and they make their money saying, this realtor will find the exact right house for you because he can see with his tianyan which house you should live in, which business you should buy. You go, mm, that's not the same thing. Who advertises shantung in Taiwan? stock market analysts. They use their tianyan to help you buy the right portfolio. Fart, fart. That is absolute bogus nonsense, but it makes certain people very wealthy. No joke. There are realtors who advertise. They use their shantung to help you buy the right stock. Shameless, right? And there are people who patronize them and love it. There's an audience in Taiwan for phony shantung people. Boy, oh boy. Everybody has their tianyan open, their deva eye. Strange, strange world. So, okay. Now, I have with me... Now, I have... What have I done? I have uh, read this text with my tongue in my cheek, kind of cynic little funny edge to it, like disrespectfully. Why? I explain why. Because I want us to look at this not kind of running by it and ignoring it, and also not taking it on faith, saying, well, the Buddha said so, it must be true. I want it, this has to stand rationally, logically, or we don't have to read it. And I maintain that it can, if we say, 
in my own experience, my body is really not what I think it is. When I have a fever, why am I so hot? Right? How come when I drink a cup of ginger tea, I feel like my pores are sweating? Ordinarily, they're not. I'm not sweating now, but just add... And the body is really uh, composed of flexible things. The body is uh, a temporary... What? Uh, uh, the word is concatenation. It's a temporary sticking together of earth, air, fire, and water, changing all the time. The karma, the glue that sticks my body together is what I do with it. The karma that I create is what holds these four elements together. What makes some people female, other people male, same thing. Karma, the deeds that I do with those four elements. And the sutra is saying, if I do these things with it, I can make it change in amazing ways. I've only read you one of the five, right? It's just the first one of the five. Now, has anybody done it? This is my refuge certificate. When I took refuge in 1973, I got this. This is my triple jewel refuge certificate, my Gui Yi Jung from Gold Mountain Monastery, 1973. It was actually... What was the date? It was November 24th. November 24th, 1973, when I took refuge. This, this has Shrifu's signature and his chop. And it has his vows, Master Shrenhua's vows in Chinese and English. And his vows are special. Um, Shifu pointed to those vows a lot as being very different from other monks. There are 18 of them, and number 17, I vow to obtain the five eyes, the six psychic powers, and the freedom of being able to fly in this very life. That's one of our teachers or grand teachers, 18 vows. I vow to obtain the five eyes, the six psychic powers of which we've learned one tonight, and the freedom of being able to fly in this very life. How does it go? Yuan si sheng ji de wu yan liu tong fei xing zi zai. Yuan, this is shi di shi qi. Yuan si sheng ji de wu yan liu tong fei xing zi zai. So I just wanted to share that with you. We, you sometimes we meet things that are hard to explain. Hard to explain. Now, this is a story that I've, many people have heard before, but it's the most dramatic that I know. And to say I understand what's going on, I certainly do not, but I saw it. Um, myself and my colleague, Marty, were in Malibu, bowing. Um, 
on 101 and on Highway 1. And uh, Malibu at that place is very busy. The, the houses with their fences are here. And the beach is there. And there's a narrow sidewalk. And Highway 1 is zoom, zoom, just like that. And it's the case that wherever the properties are more wealthy and more valuable, the police are more uptight. That's, that's true. But we had made friends of the local sheriffs and also the local police. They liked us because uh, they discovered that we were uh, not soliciting. That was the first question. Are you selling something? Uh, are you uh, crazy? You know? <laughs> okay, they seem not to be crazy. Uh, you guys eat vegetables? And you do this all day. We watch you. You do this all day long. You're up in the morning and you finish late. And you, you veg One meal a day? How do you do that? And you take what people give you. Do you know the arts? And we go, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Tell me more about this. You know, what do you guys believe? You know, because they saw that, that, you know, these are, these are people who are committed to something. And they, it's physical. What we're doing is very physical. And so they became friends, and they would come around, and, and uh, uh, Officer Johnson uh, came and, and used to make offerings, and uh, his wife would bake cookies for us, and he would come and hand us the cookies. And he would say, one time he came and he said, okay, fellas, you know, up ahead it's really narrow. He said, we want you to walk that, because just beyond it there's a place you can pull over and off the side, and you can bow there. What do you say? And uh, said, it's all right, right? We don't want to scrape you up off the sidewalk. We don't want to, you to turn into hamburger here. Not on our watch. You want to do that, you do it in Ventura, but not here. He said, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Then he said, now, well, I have a suggestion. He said, why don't you, 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 these robes you're wearing, that brown, it looks just like the trees around. Can you wear that, that red robe the old monk behind you is wearing? It's much more visible. If you could wear that red robe that he's got on, you know, we wouldn't be so worried. And we went, uh-huh. He said, yeah. He said, our, uh, our post lawyer was driving by, and he saw that old guy, and he said, boy, that's if they could all wear that red robe. And he said, and my wife, too. My wife went by the other day, and she saw that him behind you and, and said that he's really visible, but the two of you are like, you'd kind of blend right in. You're, you know, if you wear that red, then you're less of a traffic hazard. What do you say? And we go, yeah, the, the red robe, like the old monk behind us. Okay, well, we'll uh, basically we don't, we don't wear red robes yet. We're not, we don't have the status to wear red but we'll look into it. Okay, so yeah, that'd be good. Okay, be careful up ahead. By the way, my wife baked these for you. Here you go, you know. And that was Officer Johnson. And so we're going, what old monk in a red robe? There's only two of us here. You know, that's funny. So we went up to San Francisco because uh, we were going to Asia with, with Shurfu later. And Marty, for the two of us, said to Fang Guo Wu, who was a disciple, uh, she, he said, we were in Malibu about four weeks ago and... Uh, police came up and said they saw Shufu. And what was he doing at that time? She said, four weeks ago, oh, she said, yeah, that was really funny. She said, I was there with Guo uh, He, and we had brought Shufu lunch. And uh, we were sitting there talking with him, 
And all of a sudden, he got that that thousand foot stare and a ten foot room look in his eye, you know. And he stood up and he went into his room. And about two hours later, he came back out and he said, "They'll be fine now." And we didn't know what it was all about. You suppose that was what it was about? I don't know. So I still don't know. But that was the same time. Now, how can our teacher be in San Francisco and be down in Malibu, walking behind the bowing monks at the same time? I don't know. But I do know that he made that vow, which was the five eyes, the six powers, and the ability to fly in this life. I don't know. So, just to pose that, there's a lot more in the world that our conscious mind doesn't know. Probably what we don't know outnumbers what we know by a factor of about a million. Master Hua would say, yeah, your conscious mind, he said, once you fill that garbage can up, that's all it can hold. He said, you really want wisdom. Wisdom is limitless and boundless. And where does wisdom come? Right from that garbage can of consciousness. Transformed. Cultivate, he would say. Okay. So, I just offer that up for our consideration. There's a lot that we don't know. Okay. Next week is what? Next week is the deva ear, the heavenly ear, the heavenly eye, knowledge of others' thoughts, knowledge of past lives. So don't miss that lecture. Come with questions. Please turn to the last page of your songbook and we'll dedicate the mirror.